spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Welcome to Max Mike Movies. In this, our second series, we will discuss a different movie each week. A movie that falls into the category of what we're calling Hidden Gems. These are movies that Max and I both think are fun, interesting, or otherwise worth seeing, but for some reason they don't seem to have reached a particularly wide audience. We'll go over the plot of the film in our show portion, go back and forth over the film's merits, point some details in Lowdown, and finish up with the Roundup, where we discuss why we think the film deserves a wider audience, or maybe try to figure out why this doesn't have one. I am a head of lettuce, and... Oh, wait, no. Sorry, that's the wrong page. <laughs> My name is Mike yep, yep. Luce, and this is a head of cabbage, Max uh, Levine. That's the wrong page. No, no, it isn't. I am waiting to become be taken up to the Holy Land to be made into coleslaw. May, may Cole Porter is more likely for you. Could be sauerkraut. You never know. <laughs> Wait, that's a good thing. Mm. I hate sauerkraut. I <laughs> hate sauerkraut! <laughs> Thank right. you, Weird Al. <laughs> I'm not that weird. My name's not Al, but you can yeah. call me Al. Well, yeah, but that means you have to call me Betty. Okay, Betty. Yeah. So stop this... before we sub-reference again. Yes. <laughs> oh, Dennis, no. Um, this week we are talking about the 1984 classic Amazo film, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. You may know this film. No, you may not know this film. Well, this <laughs> film has a plot. Well, it kind of has a. Well, anyway, it has it has plenty of plot. It's it got does like have nine plot. plots. In fact, speaking of the plot, let's get there right now, shall we? the show mm -hmm. oh boy um so what if the 1939 i'm sorry 1938 martian invasion war of the world's radio broadcast was real what it if, was <laughs> what if there was a crazed italian scientist who'd found a way to crack through to the eighth dimension and by so doing inadvertently open a portal to planet 10 home of the alien race the electroids and what if some of those same electroids came to earth were trapped and wanted to get back home or invade or or something what if we then skip ahead to 1984 to when a second scientist brain surgeon rock star reinvents the device that allowed travel across the eighth dimension which caused electroids to up their efforts to do what it is they want to do and what if jeff goldblum and ellen barkin and, and jeff john lithgow and what if none of the plot synopsis is in the correct order what if indeed and that what if is Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if you knew this, Max, but there's a, mm -hmm. a, a little bit of trivia involved with this film. No! There is. A well, don't bit. keep us in suspense. Are we? Right. So, um, not a big surprise, as this has been a common theme among our films. Not that it was made in the 80s, although that is also true. Um, Accidental. Eh, this film was not a commercial success. Um, it uh, apparently was made for around $12 million. I couldn't find an actual quote for that. Um, the final gross was around 6 Ouch. That qualifies for a bomb. Yeah. And uh, I did find out some other uh, reasoning for that. Um, one, of, one of the possible reasons, besides the strangeness of the film, um, they moved its opening weekend. Why they did this, we don't know. It may have been a production issue. Unfortunately, it was coming out the same weekend as some other films you may have heard of, like Star Trek Three, Indiana Oops. Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, dear. And Ghostbusters. Oh! <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty Lost much. Lost in the shuffle. Yeah, predetermined not to have a big audience. Um this is something I did not know. There's a, a, a new Blu-ray or whatever version um, of this film out, and there's some scenes that were cut that were put back in. And uh, this next bit of trivia actually is possible to note if you're really quick and if you're like blowing this up really big and you still frame. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is actually in the film as Buck Rubanzai's mother. What? She Where? only appears in the photographs, but apparently there were ah. scenes shot with her and the guy who played her father, whose name was unimportant because I don't remember who he was. Um, so Marilyn does not appear in the film. <laughs> Once again, no. <laughs> um, John Lithgow had a dialect coach, except in this case, the dialect coach was actually an Italian tailor on the Fox lot. Um, <laughs> he, he would hand the script to his tailor, and this guy would record the lines, and then John Lithgow would then learn the accent from there. I'm, oh I'm, boy. This is not trivia, but this is my favorite performance by John Lithgow ever, ever. <laughs> um, 
There's a sequel mentioned at the end of the film in a sort of Bond-like way where they say that, you know, we'll see the next adventure. Buckaroo Banzai will return. He doesn't. Um, the movie was never going to happen. The person who owned the rights at the time, and I had trouble finding out the name for this, but I think it was the executive producer, Sidney Beckerman, hmm. hated what they were doing with the film. Hated it. Hated, Ooh. hated, hated. While they were making it. In fact, they would go out of their way to do things that they know would piss him off because the stuff that they liked the most was these weird random things such as the what's that watermelon doing there bit. Um, and so they would put things in there just to piss him off. The rights were tied up with him for a long time. He apparently passed away in 2008 and now the rights are still tied up. Ooh. Um, yeah, there was a bankruptcy with the production company that made this film and the rights are up for... Well, it's it's actually indeterminate as to who actually owns them. And that's something else that's coming up later. Um, Max and I, off camera. Uh, wait, camera? <laughs> off microphone. We're just speaking about Tom Hanks, who was actually one of the people who was up for the role of Buckaroo Banzai at one point. Or at least that considered. That would have been a very different movie. The other person I saw noted for this role was Michael Keaton, Mr. Mom. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow. I, to me, he didn't. I'm not a big Michael Keaton fan for things like this. Didn't like him as Batman, although he redeems himself as the Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming. Did a great job there. Yeah. Um, there are two Star Trek con connections here. The Oscillation Overthruster shows up as a prop in a number of episodes of Next Gen, apparently. And the phrase, no matter where you go, there you are, is on the dedication plaque of the USS Excelsior. Mm-hmm. That is a, a phrase that pops up in many, many places, and few people seem to know where it comes from. This is I can tell you from. where it comes from. Here. No. It's much older than that. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Max it was, is lying. Don't listen to Max. If you want to tell Max to stop lying, you can write <laughs> us at... <laughs> there was a comic back in the, I think it was the 30s and 40s, named, called himself Professor Irwin Corey. And he was fa his line, his big line was, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. And as you've just heard, Max lies. So, how did you find that <laughs> oh, out? Did you? Just... Uh, I no, I went to one of the. There are a bunch of Buckaroo Banzai sites. Oh yes. That discuss a lot of the more obscure references. Uh, but go on with the rest of the trivia. I want to see if you cover some of the one, the other thing I found out. Probably not. I, I left mm. a lot of stuff out. Um, <laughs> Peter Weller says that he based his performance as Buckaroo Banzai on Elia Kazan, the scriptwriter, uh, Jacques <laughs> Cousteau. Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, and Adam Ant. The singer, not the cartoon. <laughs> oh, this cartoon would have been more fun. Up and Adam, Adam, and... Yeah, no. I could just see him going, up and Adam, buckaroo, bonsai. No, no, no. it doesn't quite work, but whatever. The sweater wouldn't fit. Mm. Um, Robert Ito apparently really wanted this part, and he kind of did a um, Sean Young. He showed up to the... the um, audition in his own old man makeup uh, in disguise because he wanted the part that badly um that yeah. is still less creepy than showing up in a catwoman outfit damn although you know robert ito <laughs> and a catwoman in it. no never mind uh, <laughs> mostly i know robert ito from i can't believe this from yep, uh, quincy yep. me um yeah <laughs> but he's been in so much stuff yes he has he's, that's another star trek con connection he was in next generation in one episode yeah but max if you remember yeah. correctly i think it's season five you are in Next Generation. Uh, no, no, I think I was in season six. Uh, I think it was shot for a season five episode, but ended up uh, in season that's six. That's right. So yep, they bumped it to six. You're right. You're right. So if you want to see the episode <laughs> Max is in, just go to... Never mind. Um, yeah. Now, this is, this is not a big piece of major trivia, but it is something that I do remember. Uh, to market this film, before the film came out, at... Um, various Star Trek and media conventions, they were, I, I remember them selling them, but it said they are handing them out. Uh, replica headbands, like the one that Buckaroo Banzai wore in the movie. Yes, I yes. Wish, I, I, yep. I wish I still had mine, but I did have one. Uh, um, I should have gotten one. On one side, it has the symbol and the, the Japanese characters, which apparently don't make any sense. Uh, oh. And on the other side, it says Team Banzai, which is on the back of the t-shirts of a lot of the folks mm -hmm. in the film. Um, and then the last thing that I, I... There was lots of stuff. I had to weed a lot of it out because a lot of it was very small. Um, mm. But the last has to do with those rights we were talking about. There have been attempts to make TV series and reboots, including one recently headed by Kevin Smith. None Ooh. have been successful and good. <laughs> the rights are in flux. The original writers claim that they own the rights to the characters, plot, etc. 
and that MGM, the original production company, only owns mm. the movie rights, so the rights oh, to the actual yes. film and what was made. MGM, of course, insists otherwise, and so it goes from there, or in this case, doesn't go, because they're in court, mm. and at this point, really? Yes. <laughs> it was 34 yes. years ago. It wasn't a big hit then. It's a cult film now, but... I, no. So, Max, you said you have at least one other juicy little tidbit. Mm. Yeah, one of the odd things about this... Uh, I saw the movie, you know, back in 84. Mm -hmm. Then, like, ten years later, when I was in grad school, I ended up reading Thomas Pynchon's The Crying of Lot 49. Okay, yep, I did see this, but I didn't yeah. write it down. Y the term, the, the Yoyodyne Corporation is right out of Crying of Lot 49. Well, that's that's the uh, the evil corporation in there. Also, the main character is Richard Warfinger. Warfinger, <laughs> like Warfin. Oh, I don't get it. The, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> They say that was intentional. The interesting, what I thought was really interesting, was that Pinch, there is a reference in a Pinchon novel that could be seen, although he's never admitted it, as a reference to Buckaroo Banzai. Hmm. In 1990, you know, six years after the movie, uh, Pinchon released his book Vineland. And there is a musical group in there called Eddie Enrico and his Hong Kong Hotshots. Huh. Which is a lot like Buckaroo Banzai and the Hong Kong Cavaliers. I think that's for that's suing territory. That's what I think. <laughs> it's a tribute, and apparently, at least that's how uh, the the cast sees it, and they're very flattered. If you'd like to sue Thomas Pinchon, you may contact. <laughs> <laughs> yes, leave a comment. We will yes. sue him for you. Really. Uh, anything else? Mm, no, that no. You you covered most of the rest of it. Yeah. So um, mm. with that covered. I'm going to suggest a little side trip into Wonderland. I mean, we're going to go into The Lowdown. The Lowdown. And here we are. Ow, damn, that hurts. We've got I to work know. on re-entry. I know, I know, but it's so beautiful here. Oh, it's pretty colors. Oh. Trails, the trails. Oh, lovely trails, yes. Yeah. And happy trails to you, Max. <laughs> and to you, Mike. <laughs> and to my stuffed horse, Trigger. <laughs> okay, that's a deep one. Um, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a stuffed trigger in every Roy Rogers restaurant. <laughs> Moo. Uh, so, uh, Buckaroo Banzai. This mm. was a film that, again, uh, at least yes, I heard this of. Was, this was indeed a film. <laughs> I'm we so can't glad argue you're with here. That. You know, <laughs> you could be fired again. You want to go for six? <laughs> hey, nobody put anything in the comments. I have not been fired on the website, so that doesn't count. I <laughs> can fire you. It says so. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, when I was going to media conventions, Star Trek conventions, Star Trek conventions, parading as media conventions, so on and so forth, back in the 80s, uh, I do remember seeing, there might actually have been a preview, I think there was a preview at one of those big media shows where they were handing out or selling the um, headbands. And uh -huh. we saw this and it was like, this looks like fun, let's go. And we went, and I remember coming out of the theater, and it was the Somerville Multiplex, I remember particularly which theater it was. Um, I think it's the Assembly Square, is that what it is? Yeah, that yeah. was where it was. Mm -hmm. um, and this again. It is again still there? Yeah, it's yep. been brought back. Oh, it went away? Yeah, oh yeah, the thing closed down years ago. Oh. Then uh, they rebuilt all of Assembly Square and made it this immense megastructure mall thing, and now there's this gigantic movie theater there. Oh, hmm. mm. neat. Um, so I saw it there at the at the Assembly Square, and uh, I remember coming out of the film kind of dizzy. Yeah, like it was like, what just happened? Uh, that that is the thing about that movie; it dumps you in, and when you land, the movie's already going at full speed, and they don't explain anything. No, and uh, this is okay. There's a lot of people who won't see movies with me anymore, Weasel. Um, who think that I'm just too critical and there's actually some co-workers who have said when I've commented about Star Wars films, you think too much. It's like, uh, okay. Well, no, if no, stuff no. takes me out of the story, mm -hmm. if it it's enough to make me stop paying attention to this giant, huge thing being projected into my brain, then I think I have a reason to, to think and criticize the film. On the other hand, you can have films like this that, as Max has just said, don't explain things such as the watermelon in promise that they're going to and never do, and I can be fine with it. It's this weird, just tiny, like, tightrope of a line that a movie can walk that 
can I don't know what it is can be fine and do stuff like that and then on the other side can't do things like that like the main character of uh, Rogue One I can't remember her name I know it's not Ray, but she might as well be mm. Ray because she was cast to look like her and whatever why is she in jail we don't know where has she been for nine years nobody nobody says anything we never find out that bothers me we don't know anything about her I don't care about her the watermelon I care about the watermelon <laughs> No, Mike, Mike, I I just feel I should be the one to tell you the reason nobody wants to see movies with you has nothing to do with your critical tendencies. It has to do with your immense and uncontrollable flatulence. <laughs> it's really hard to sit through a movie when, you know, you're going off every 35, 45 seconds. What am I, the end of a fireworks show? Come on. Pretty much, It's not yeah. that bad. You can't <laughs> smell a thing. I can't and believe now... we're doing fart jokes. <laughs> Come on, this is supposed to be a serious discussion about film. Right, right, right. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, besides which I don't have that. More fart jokes, yes? (laughs) No, because I'll never stop. That that is my kryptonite. Is that the right term? Yeah, so. No, that's the anti-kryptonite. It'll bring out my my superpower of not being able to stop laughing. Not much Mm. of a power, really. Although I can get into the Avengers, because anybody can. (laughs) They got a guy with a bow and arrow, for God's sake. (laughs) Well, you know, they found him at a sporting goods store. Um... (laughs) I like the way you tetherball, sir. <laughs> uh, thank you. You know, Patton, please don't sue us. I know we're taking a lot of your material, but you're just that good. Yep. You know, he's listening. Yeah, um, of course. So, yeah, this film, it, it straddles that line really well of making stuff up that has that makes no sense, not explaining things, and us being totally fine with it. Either that or, you know, like with initial viewing, being so dizzy as to not notice the thing is, the nice thing about the movie, the way they do it, Will, is they are assuming you're smart enough to figure it out. It's not a, like, we're not going to tell you. It's like, fill in your own stuff. I bet it'll be just as good. Yeah, don't see that much anymore, do you? Not much, no. And I, I, I like that. I think it's neat that they just they count on our imagination to fill in the, the holes. And we do, because, you know, you care about the characters. You care about the story. Even, like, the, like the, the, the supplemental characters, like Rawhide. As I, and to be fair... We're talking Clancy Brown. And yeah, who is awesome. I mean, Clancy Brown is, yeah. He is a fan favorite for a reason. He does not have to be in a movie very much. He does not have to have many lines. Heck, nope. you don't even have to see him. That's fine. <laughs> if it's Clancy Brown's voice, we're fine with that. Yes, we um, are. Clancy Brown is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also, uh, for those of us who don't know him, I'm sure you know him much better as the Kurgan from Highlander. Uh, <laughs> no, he's it's been in lots ma- of stuff. Major voice actor, too. He was uh, Sergeant Zim from... Uh, uh, Starship Troopers. Yep, he's the voice of Lex Luthor in most of the uh, animated Batman or Superman uh, shows. Yeah, he just yeah, uh, he's just one of those actors that fandom adores, and for good mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you do care about him. Um, they had me though when we saw. I was watching this again, and I'd forgotten about the opening crawl because you know, since Star Wars, everybody has to have an opening crawl. They had me at hard rocking scientists. Yep, <laughs> it's like I'm interested. Scientists. You got me. <laughs> and the cast of this movie is astonishing. Never mind Peter Weller. You've got Jeff Goldblum. You've got John, Oscar winner John Lithgow. In his amazing. Oscar winning performance. Uh, no. <laughs> it should have been. It, it, it got, you got El, Ellen Barkin, Christopher Lloyd, Dan Hedaya, for God's sake, Vincent Schiavelli. I love Jim, Vincent Schiavelli. He is one of my favorite uh, he, character actors. He shows up in everything. Yep, yep. He's in this. He's John O'Connor. I actually painted a portrait of him once. Nice night, huh? <laughs> He's very low-key in this. Usually he plays somebody a little bit more uh, hyper, or not hyper, but a little bit more energetic, and that's fine. He does. I mean, it's like one of those character actors you just love to see him, even if you don't know his name. Um, yeah, but it's like, you know, we get to see... Uh, the, the training thing is, is one of the actors here, and you just mentioned him, had was in two films that opened the same weekend, and that is uh, Christopher Lloyd, because he was also mm. in Star Trek Three. Yep. So on one screen you have him going, You killed my dog, you Federation bastard! And on the other screen you have, It's not my damn planet, monkey boy! And you, know, so, <laughs> uh, um, you mentioned the headbands. I actually still own, at a convention back in the 80s, I got a sweatshirt that on the front has the Yo-Yo Dine logo and has their phrase, you know, Yo-Yo Dine, a growing excited corporation. The future begins tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And on the back it says, Laugh while you can, the monkey boy. Wow. Yeah, I wish I had that headband for a long time, but it's long gone. 
Boy, mm. that would be serious geek cred. Although they're probably they'd remade them. They were on polyester for cripe's mm. sakes. So it probably cost fifty cents to maybe not even that much, but. Um, yeah, so here we have this hard-rocking scientist movie, science fiction. Uh, we've got all of this weird stuff. And how does the film start? Uh, with a brain surgery. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it has dialogue that tells you right from the start how this movie's going to be. Don't tug on that. This far mm -hmm. inside the head, you never know what that's attached to. And um, the thing is, the, all the veins that uh, Chris, that uh, Jeff Goldblum mentions, you know, the vein yep. of Galen, those are yep. all real. Those are yes. all actual major veins in the brain. And apparently, they all do look alike. Yes, they're yes, really they hard can. to distinguish. Um, and then they go right from that. They go right into the whole thing, and then we do the the, the backstory, <laughs> which is why my my plots not out out of order because I don't know if it made sense in order. Um, they but, go from that to the, this chesting a jet car that can has a an interdimensional <laughs> an oscillation over thruster, which is a big uh, MacGuffin in this movie that lets yeah. them go through uh, solid matter. Then we find out that there are aliens living in this eighth dimension. Yes, and then Electroids. they're in a club in New Jersey, being same harangued by Pat Harrington <laughs> as yeah. Arnie, the club owner. Pat Harrington, who is best known as Schneider the Plumber from One Day at a Time, yeah, and he Schneider. has one line. But he does it very well. But that suit, oh my! It's oh. I swear he was just shooting Dick Tracy like next door. <laughs> now like, hey, are you busy? Can we grab you? Because we need yeah. Because it's yikes. such a strange transition because you have this. Very, you know, full of techno babble, test, you know, uh, almost like a fighter jet training or whatever for the for the jet car, and then suddenly they're playing music in a club. Very well, except yeah. that, you know, hey, someone out there not having a good time. Oh God, that that whole sequence where Buckaroo realizes someone in the crowd over all this music and noise, he can hear one person is crying. <laughs> someone crying out there in the darkness. Yeah. And of course, it's Penny, Penny Pretty. Did you say Peggy? No, Penny. <laughs> I have to say, Ellen Barkin is a. Uh, uh, she shows up in a lot of stuff. The, the, mm -hmm. the major cast of this film, they show up in tons of things. Yeah, but yeah. Ellen Barkin, for me, was equivalent to Michelle Pfeiffer in Lady Hawk. And I think that in this film, for whatever reason, they both just like look their best. And you know, look, look who's talking here for this. But. To me, Ellen Barkin, I remember watching this film thinking, wow, she's really pretty, you know, which yeah. is, you know, not fair because she's also very talented and does a great job. But the poor woman goes through hell and is, use more honey. <laughs> Find out what she knows. <laughs> but, and she uh, gets such, her dialogue is so odd. Yes. She said, you know, Buckaroo, you know, you're like Jerry Lewis. You give me hope to carry on. <laughs> I had that in my what? notes. <laughs> what? I know. I what don't the know. Hell? I know and I don't know. And it's great because it's who cares? You know, and he's sitting there going, like, oh, I can't find anything. I took a shower, slam. Like, you know, okay. Like, what does that have to do with anything? But, yeah, you know. She's, she'll, she's explaining why she's in his room. Like, you know, okay, I'm a girl. I snuck into your room. I went through your personal belongings. I took a bath. Yeah. Well, of course, it turns out that she is the unknown identical twin to his dead girlfriend or wife. I never did figure wife. that out. Wife. Okay. No, he says, he the, says I, I married her. I'm sorry, that was the one point I was not paying attention. <laughs> so, um, yeah, speaking of the club, the one thing I noticed, and this is just very, very trivial because it has only to do with me, is uh, when Buckaroo takes the guitar solo, I looked at the guitar and said, hey, that guitar looks spankingly familiar um, because it's the same model guitar I have, not that oh. I can play it. So, yes, he's playing Warren, my guitar. Um, oh, how nice. Yeah, well, it's nice for me. Oh. Um, yeah, so I, Ellen Barkin, for me, she just, I don't know, they were just she looks great, which is, a, mm -hmm. a again, a horrible thing to say about that's the least you Why? should. Why? It's true. She's also, her performance is a lot of fun. She is a lot she's of fun. She's going way over the top, and she knows it, and she's obviously supposed to be, and she makes the character interesting <laughs> and memorable in, like, 20 seconds. Yes, she does. Actually, her in that bar scene is, like, especially when he starts singing to her, and she just is staring like, yeah, this is not helping, and then she pulls up the gun. <laughs> she pulls her gun out, puts it to her head. She's going to kill herself while she's singing. Someone bumps into her. She shoots into the air. This is, again, another really good sort of uh, uh, given a taste of who these people are. Because the instant the shot goes off, every member of the band has a gun out. Yep. They're all pushing Buckaroo out of the way. Yep. And, of course, everyone's worried about him. Nobody cares about her, which is sad, except for Buckaroo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And of course, the reason is that it turns out he's she's the identical twin of his dead wife. So yeah, yeah, um, which is weird in and of itself. But yes, I actually wish we'd seen a little bit more of her because her performance is really good. Um, in a in a sea of really good performances, uh, and I didn't look up the credit, and I should have. But like one of my other favorite, you know, smaller parts there is John Parker. John Parker. Oh, John um, Parker. That's Carl Lumbly, and Carl Lumbly is awesome. He's got a, this great voice and this great presence. And just recently, I mean, I was thinking of this as sort of bookends. In 1984, he starts off playing an alien. He just this year was on the show Supergirl. Playing the father of the Martian Manhunter. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just I remember watching him. So they're inside the warehouse at the end of the film, and they're all sneaking around. And his gait is so weird. He, is, he does the, such a great thing of moving like he's not human. Yeah, one, I forget one of them. I think it was uh, um, John Lithgow again was saying that mm. as soon as he got inhabited by Lord John Warfin that he started changing his gait to move more like a crab, I guess. Ah. I don't know why, but it's, but the guy playing John Parker did an even better job. But just this deadpan, the stuff coming out of his mouth is just hilarious, <laughs> and it just makes no sense, and like a lot of it. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's just like this sea of fun. Mm. Um, even the guy who's playing the secretary, who's a total, you know, uh, Secretary necklace, Defense, yeah. Yeah, um, is does a really great job and he's he's really pushing his part too i didn't notice this at the time partially because the voice doesn't match but they specifically made the president up to look like orson wells <laughs> oh okay i didn't catch that i didn't either until i was like I, I saw it in some notes and i went and looked at him this time i was like oh yeah he does look like like the older orson wells in citizen kane he um, also has a national security advisor in there who is <laughs> played Smirnoff. by yakov smirnoff and yeah. by the way the character's name is it's secretary smirnoff, smirnoff. yeah, yeah. In my country, no one laugh at my jokes. Well, in your country, nobody laugh at my jokes. <laughs> yes, but I get job selling Bud Light. What a country. Yeah, you know, it'd be great if the, he teamed up with Yahoo Serious and they could oh, do a tour. Oh, Lord. Yakov and Yahoo. Yeah, the Yak Series. <laughs> There'd be twice as many yucks as there would be in the show. Um, yeah, so... Uh, John Lithgow too. Oh my God, he actually said that. Oh, he's that, so much fun in this. I I absolutely adore his performance, and in fact, I adored it so much that I would start looking up other movies John Lithgow was in because I wanted to see like more crazy, and he pretty much never does. Like, he's usually very understated. No, he's a really good actor, but he was willing to go nuts on this. And he actually said there were times where he approached going over the top, but never quite did it. And uh, I want to know what his well. gaze looks like. Sealed <laughs> with a curse as sharp as a knife. Doomed is your soul and damned is your life. Oh. <laughs> buzz off and I love that he gets things wrong by like one or two words because obviously you know your life is supposed to be doomed it's your soul that gets damned oh there's or a whole list like, of the quotes he oh, got oh there's wrong. so many like you know oh, I, home is where you wear your hat home is where you hang. and even that uh character is what you are in the dark that's a that's a quote from a 19th century philosopher who says character is what you think in the dark right makes and a lot the, more sense but he gets so it, into it and the but the, you know what the weirdest part is I, I saw this I looked this up and it's true he disappears John Lithgow we yes. see him break out of a mental hospital and then he's <laughs> gone for 42 minutes yes he's missing he for did, most of the film the main villain vanishes but his and performance fills worked, that void his, yeah he's so good you still for, you remember him it's not like oh who is that guy it's like oh yeah there he is Big Booty, more power to him. <laughs> oh, God, Christopher Lloyd's character, John Big Booty, which, of course, he keeps mispronouncing Big Booty. Big Booty! Tay! Tay! Blam! Blam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Smash the window, John O'Connor. Why me, John Big Booty? It might be booby-trapped. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and that's the great thing. These characters have so little dialogue, but you instantly you know them completely. Yeah. Now, John Gomez, who's played by Dan Hedaya, not as much. He's just sort of dumb muscle. But, Which is fine. But, you know, John Big Boutet is obviously the sort of second-in-command who resent, who thinks his boss is crazy and knows he could do a better job. Yep. And John O'Connor is the sort of fawning yes-man. Yeah. And John Smallberries! Yeah, is just sort of there. Yeah. He doesn't even have a line, but... <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, God. And the stuff they do with language in this... 
the visual pun at the beginning with the jet car when on the screen it says signed s-i-n-e-d then sealed and then delivered and they spell sealed wrong but that's they spell sealed wrong yeah Yeah. just the weird way buckaroo and the others talk when they say yeah these uh yeah they they grab the professor and the overthruster oh the deuce you say (laughs) what yeah Peter Weller became like an instant fan favorite from this film. He would later yeah. go on to do another big science fiction film, of course, called uh, RoboCop, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of disappear. Although he does show up in a Star Trek film, uh, he yeah. showed up in uh, one of the reboot films, the second one with um, oh, Benedict yeah. uh, Bendy's Draw Comfort uh, Pickle Patch there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but he uh, he his was probably the most sedate of the performances it's and he's very still, underplayed yeah yeah but it was good because you kind of needed to be it was sort of like if everyone's a muppet i need to be the guest star because mm. you know that's the way it's going to be and um, i and again you were talking about how good looking how good ellen barkin looks wow he is gorgeous in this movie who peter weller peter weller whoa the blue he, eyes the hair damn and, and but of course it was slightly overshadowed by the 80s-ness of the costuming yeah the costumes were exceptionally 80, 80s no more and more so than Perfect Tommy oh Perfect Tommy yeah oh. apparently they had to bleach his hair bad because it was oh. quite quite dark yeah, but... yeah he's got like black, uh, Lewis whatever his name is part Lewis uh, I don't like that I can't remember yeah, that no, guy <laughs> yeah that guy one, who went he did a couple of movies and then just vanished Thank yeah he has, he has like black hair but I love it's what one of the thing the the themes this movie is such in many ways it's like a comic book. Yeah. Well, and he, there's a comic book of the movie in the movie. Yeah, and ev but everybody I love the way they have everybody knows Buckaroo Bonsai. I mean, yeah. At one point they somebody finds in the swamp. It's like what is it? Oh, it's it's a comic book. It's Buckaroo Bonsai. It's the latest issue. Or when he takes the motorcycle, he's like you can't ride that. It's Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> God. Everyone recognizes him or when they go even when they go to the jail where Penny's being held after they think trying to shoot him and one of the other inmates you hear go, Oh my god, perfect Tommy <laughs> They everyone is recognized. Yeah. They're just this huge part of the world. But it's so underplayed. You know, you don't get like screaming crowds. No. There are a few people camped out outside the compound, but well, he it's also, just part of the background. He also has a direct line to the president. Yes. <laughs> he can call the president anytime. And nobody blinks twice at this. It's just like, oh no. yeah, of course he does. It's Buckaroo Bonsai. It's Buckaroo Bonsai. No, one person blinks, and that's the newest member of the team, which is Jeff Goldblum as New Jersey. He says, the, the president called him often? <laughs> well, like, to be fair, they that's... Look- that's Jeff Goldblum. Like, he's sort of professional blinker. Yeah, yeah. He's the one who gets surprised by a lot of things. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum, we don't have to talk about him because cause he's awesome in everything. You yeah. can make a movie instantly a lot better by putting Jeff Goldblum in. He is a huge fan favorite. Um, he's memorable in everything he's in, uh, especially up to and including the recent Thor film. He's a lot of fun yep. in that. Oh, especially his so little cutscene at the end. Um, <laughs> He's selling apartments now for some reason. He's fine yes. in that. <laughs> yep, he does a lot. He's done a lot of commercials. So he's very good in them. Just, I want to. Go, I got to go back to John Lithgow. He's so much. The little things, like when when we fir- when he first becomes John Warfin, when Emilio Lazaro disappears <laughs> in effect, and is possessed, and he like is roaring and knocking the crap out of people, and he bursts out of the lab. He throws open the door, and he does it. He just turns and looks back hunches his head that look is like a cartoon villain it's so <laughs> perfect he becomes like a human cartoon he does almost as much as uh as christopher lloyd later would in roger yeah. rabbit yeah and when he's supposed to be i mean he, he yeah. is literally a human cartoon but oh god he has so much fun with this it's, you know, the, trying to do the villain stuff and the ridiculous speeches and we must work while the clerk she is ticking. And <laughs> well, it's obviously he's he's trying to do Hitler. Yeah. Well, no, he's trying to do Mussolini. Oh, and I, I'm going to say the mannerisms are more like Hitler, which makes it even make less sense. No, no, I, I gotta I gotta disagree with you because first off, the Italian accent. Second off, he has pictures of Benito Mussolini in his uh, room at the mental institution. I know, but and his mannerisms this... are like more a lot lot, lot more like Hitler. Yeah. Hitler was less manic. He was very focused and very loud. But he Mussolini would do those short bursts of phrases and wait for so, the applause. So would, Mus- so would Mussolini. Mussolini Only was if the trains were on that. time. No, no. Mussolini was way... 
Hitler was much better at stoking a crowd. Mussolini was more flamboyant. I say Hitler. He says Mussolini. Yeah. If you'd like to vote for Hitler or Mussolini, <laughs> you may... Ha- no, okay. No, please, please don't. Please don't <laughs> vote for either of them. Some people already did. Oh, that was political. Oh, oh. Right. So um, yeah. I'm going to bring it back to you. One of the things you like to bring up is lots of little things. And there are yeah. lots of little things. I want to go on, on to say that potentially before this film, when you would have things that are now currently popularly known as Easter eggs, Easter eggs generally would show up in a film but they weren't put there for the audience to find because in a lot of cases there was no way for the audience to find it. You couldn't still frame things and stuff like that. So there like, was for no example, web to look it up on. No, no. Mm-hmm. So for example, in Close Encounters in 1978 on the big mothership, and you can see this, but you would never look for it. When the one of the close-ups oh, yeah. of the mothership, one of the little doodads, little details is actually a little pewter pendant of R2-D2, and it does have a light in it. And if you look closely, you again, you, you had to be told it was there. Otherwise, forget it. You'd never see yeah. it. That was not there for the audience. That was there for the people who build the model and had to put all that stuff on there, and they got a little goofy, and it was late, and so on and so forth. Apparently, and I've never been able to find this, in the, ma- uh, the Well of Souls in Indiana Jones... In the hieroglyphics in the back of the set somewhere oh, yeah. is R2-D2 and C-3PO. And C-3PO, yeah. yeah. But these, I've seen the still, but I've never seen it while watching the movie. Yeah, this was stuff that, that got snuck in because they didn't want to break that fourth wall. And, mm-hmm. you know, they became Easter eggs. This film, I think it kind of embraced that and said, no, 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 we're putting things in and we want you to see them. Yeah, and we don't. We aren't going to tell you what they are. Things like, why is that watermelon there? And years later, there's a theory about it that actually the the writers confirmed, saying it was something about a food. It was an experimental food delivery system that allowed that allowed you to create fruit that could be dropped from a great from a plane and not splatter. So I have to ask though, because I, I I may have to correct you here. Were you with me at the science fiction film marathon where the director was there? No, I don't think I was. Ah, so yes, that is a theory. They said, hey, it could be this. Really, the reason it's there is because stuff like that pissed that executive producer ah. off. Okay. Um, and they would put things in there and just like, we're never going back to this. It's They were never meant to explain it. I mean, the explanation is hilarious, but yeah. Th- that's. I mean, that's the well-known one, but there are so many of these other ones, like when... Uh, Buckaroo is calling for help for the Blue Blazers in the uh, in the New Jersey area, and you know Scooter, yep. uh, who's a Blue Blazer irregular, forty two picks and a half up, or something like that. Yep, 40, 41, 41 and a half, and he runs outside going, "Dad, Dad, Buckaroo's in trouble." Now this is his dad runs a junkyard, and for some reason there are all of these couches, <laughs> big brightly colored couches, some stacked on top of each other, and you go outside and. He, Dad's out there. There are these two people sitting, each one sitting on a couch. They have no lines. Dad's only line is, say what? <laughs> what are the couches doing there? Don't you remember the international couch shortage of 1983? It was in all the papers. <laughs> only in that little tiny head of yours. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean. so weird. Tons of little stuff like that. There's actually one thing I did not notice until, again, looking for trivia. Um, there is a number of similarities uh, between this film and a certain more famous time travel film that will come out a year later. But uh, Back to the Future? Yeah, so mm-hmm. you have to achieve a certain speed before you can get into this other dimension. But uh-huh. also, there's this little gizmo, and I don't know what they actually call it because it's not the oscillation overthruster, but it's a little readout panel. And the little readout panel is comprised of this sort of triangular shape and there are LEDs leading into the center of this. Oh, it's the, oh God, is it the same shape? Yes, and apparently the people who made that also made the flux capacitor. <laughs> so, yeah, and I of course, some similarities. who else is in that film? Christopher Lloyd. That's right. So, mm-hmm. anyway, um, which is also a fan favorite and is a wonderful film. I love, I love Back to the Future. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. If you don't love Back to the Future, uh, we will, in fact, take out a contract. No, we won't do that. Yeah. Uh, we're not violent people. We'll give you such a pinch. <laughs> that we might do. Um, also, like tiny little things like when he has passed through the mountain, 
He's in this truck, which is a Ford F-150, I think, with a uh, dragster on the front and an actual jet engine on the back. But when he comes through and he slows down, he's got his chutes and he jumps out the side in case because it's making, you know, it's steaming and making funny noises. Um, The truck comes to a stop and has a severe case of engine knock. So this amazing piece of scientific equipment doesn't run very well. And engine (laughs) knock, for those who don't remember... um, Cars in the 80s, um, yeah, there's a reason they don't tend to last real long. They weren't real good. Uh, There was a lot of things called engine knock, which generally meant because of the, um, I think it was because the lowering of octane and the uh, catalytic converter and all that stuff is that the engines didn't tend to run on on the new fuel very well. Um, and so when you turned off your car, it would sit there and shudder and make these strange noises until it finally would put itself to sleep. Um, and this truck is doing the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, bits like that are when when they're testing the car, the horizontal velocity is increasing. <laughs> no, is uh, sorry, not increasing, is expanding. <laughs> yeah. Well. And you know. well, well, you mean speed? Is, it's going faster. Its yeah. speed is increasing. Why would you say it like that? Because it's not scientific. It's, otherwise. <laughs> It's uh, oh god! And when he's going, he's driving it like Mach one, and they're yelling, "Eject, Buckaroo! Eject! Ro- what do you mean, eject? <laughs> Into what? Yeah, that was my same the same problem in Star Wars. Eject, Porkins! Eject! I'm over the Death Star. What do you? Oh, Porkins! <laughs> Jeff Tono Porkins. Everyone loves Porkins. Yep. Wow. Okay. Uh, um, and the weird focus things that when they're talking about John Morphin's escape. Yeah, he broke down. He killed a. He killed two guards, stole a Maserati bore, and Bora. hit it off. And then and he, and they he go, crashed it a block later, and then disappeared. Uh, and they go Maserati, Maserati bore, Bora, Bora, Bora. Excuse me. Um, I also like things is like, oh, I, I was ionized, but I'm okay now. And then, oh, Bakuru, give me the formula. He licks his hand <laughs> and presses it, it on his forehead. And it stays on his head for the rest of the film. And he the one the one funny off. line that Professor Hikita gets is, you know, Bakuru holds up the formula he's written on his hand going, Hikita-san, what is this? It's your hand, Bakuru. <laughs> The uh, weird language, evil, pure and simple, from the eighth dimension. Like <laughs> the red lights. Again, it's it's comic book dialogue. Yeah, uh, it it's, it is a lot of fun. Um, this is later on when they're 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 getting the reports. They're in the hospital room because the president, for some unknown reason, is in this strange like rig. He's he's upside down half the time, and uh, they're getting these reports in. And it's like there's some kind of race war in New Jersey. <laughs> That's his entry to red electrodes and black electrodes. And mm-hmm. yeah. Although now, now I have to ask, this is a serious question. Do you think the film was trying to make some sort of social commentary? No. <laughs> okay. It wasn't even try. Oh, good heavens. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I you know we did have that secretary, secretary of defense Smirnoff. Cause that's uh, yeah. oh, okay. It's just um, such, and such odd things like they're giving a press conference, uh, which is basically demonstrating a radical change to the very nature of reality and they're sharing the space with a motorcycle convention. <laughs> well, you know, space was, was, was... And there's like 11 limited. people there. You know, there's like <laughs> 11 reporters. I'm like, oh, okay. So, yeah, this guy just broke the dimension barrier. <laughs> but you'd never find this. <laughs> yeah, he's discovered alien life. And everyone says, oh, okay. That's, hey, wow, Buckaroo's hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that one reporter. She goes, hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. I think that's her only line. Um, there... and. Speaking again, coming back to things that are never explained, and this bothered me a little. Why is John Morfin in a mental hospital for 50 years when it's very clear he could have walked out any time? Why does he stay there? Um, as a cover. <laughs> well, sure. that way he's not bothered by anybody. I don't Why know. Don't it, yeah, there's not. It doesn't make any sense at all. And it's, also, when they break out of the factory and the overthruster doesn't work, what's he going to do? He's going to fly to planet 10. Which, as far as we know, is impossible. Well, especially since they got rid of Pluto as a planet, so it would be planet 9. Oh, dear gods, it's plan 9! (laughs) Oh, not the one from outer space! (laughs) Let's see, uh, 30 days, half September, and all the rest of 31. 31st, Halloween. Oh, don't you see? (laughs) 
<laughs> but, but you know, and that that almost right there, because I haven't, I don't remember seeing Jeff Goldblum before this film. That all, that line, that that discovery, almost cements his career. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. It's wonderful. Mm. Um, there's just tons of tons of tons of stuff on there, uh, even oh. up to and including the way the movie ends. Because of course, poor Penny has died. She's she's succumbed to the honey and the ants. <laughs> <laughs> or she was and, killed and, by the squishy thing going down the track at her. Well, it never got to her, but you know. Oh, it did. It did. They they cut that sequence, but you do see uh, when Buckaroo grabs the thing, it's right at her face. Oh, because it looks in the movie the way it is now mm. that he just swats it out of the way. Right. But you know, poor New Jersey, he shakes mm. his head. He mm. she's not going to make it. And then he kisses her, and there's enough of that ionization or whatever left that he wakes her up and everything you think is going to be just fine or at least is going to get really exciting because he closes the shades so that we can see the uh, black electroid come on and just go so what big deal <laughs> that's the end of the film such a strange way yeah yeah um Ugh. one of the reasons i came out of that theater kind of dizzy um i i will also say right now before we even get into the the roundup that if you want to claim that you have serious sci-fi movie geek cred you at some point do need to see this film. You really do. I mean, it's it's referenced in a lot of other things. Hell, it's even in Ready Player One. Yes, it is because he that's yeah. how he dresses when he goes into uh, have, have his date. <laughs> yep, he uses the suit. Uh, he uses Buckaroo Banzai's suit. Yes, uh, uh, but don't see Ready Player One because yeah, if you have to read the book, the book's at least entertaining. The movie is not. It's very gray. <laughs> it's very gray, and the whole thing, the, all the stuff in the eighties, which is all. It is all about bright colors and admittedly violent clashing patterns. Mostly not, on people's clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's not supposed to be gray. Tommy anyway, may be sorry, perfect, that, but... That, that's a whole, uh, sorry, whole other movie. Yeah. One other thing, I, I, I really like this touch. When they break into Yo-Yo Dine, which is the home of the Electroids, <laughs> it's so shabby. Yeah, it's Every, There's garbage everywhere. There's open fires here around. There's crap hanging off the walls. There are these and, terrible, like, what are, what are they called? Inspirational things being broadcast over the PA, and nobody is doing anything. Work, that work, by, work. That, by the way, is, is again, a Mussolini reference. He used right. to do that, and they would broadcast these just uh, allegedly inspirational propaganda things. You know, <laughs> John Endall must die. Lord Warfin must live. But of course, but nobody is literally doing anything. They're sitting in lawn chairs and eating Doritos. Although there was one of my favorite, now defunct, I think, Snack Foods makes a couple of appearances in this film. Did you catch really? the box? Probably not. What was it? Screaming Yellow Zonkers. I missed that. Oh, oh dear. yeah, it shows up a couple of times. Ah. I think they're long gone. They're very like late sixties, early seventies. Uh. I think they lasted through the eighties. Obviously, they're in this. Um, all they are is is toffee covered colored popcorn and and oh. maybe peanuts. I don't remember. That, I love screaming cracker jacks, basically. Yeah. yeah, but it was yellow. It wasn't like oh, that, well. that thick toffee. Thing. It was different. You don't get it, man. It's not the same thing at all. <laughs> you like Kugel? You don't even Kugel is, do you? <laughs> no, but I want some. <laughs> But hey, Snipe, give us a break. Get us some dinner. <laughs> There's even... I mean, in some ways, John Bigbute explains why. You know, the Secretary of Defense is going, God, this place is a, a pigsty. Don't you have any pride? He grabs him by the yeah. throat. It's not my goddamn planet. You understand that, monkey boy? Yep. So obviously they just view Earth as, a tra as transitory, even though they've been there for 50 years. There are monkey boys in the compound. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. They call all the humans monkey boys. Obviously, they're not primates. They're only monkey boys, Lord Worf, and we can still crush them here on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. And the thing is, is that I wonder if you are going to try. Please don't, uh, <laughs> dear Hollywood. Please do not try yeah. to reboot this. Please, do not bring please it back. Don't. Please don't, Kevin Smith. Yeah, I've enjoyed some of your work. No, just I've enjoyed a lot of your work, Kevin. Please don't do this to us. No. The reason being is that I think there is a sort of a sincerity, there was a playfulness, there was a, mm. I don't know, there was something about doing all of those things and that kind of thing in the time that I don't think you could do now because you'd be too self-aware. Yeah, of, it doesn't hey, work in the post-ironic atmosphere. No, it's like, oh, we got to do this great thing. We got to do this cool, we're going to put, not a, we're going to put a raspberry, not a watermelon. That's so great. Yeah, because a, a raspberry is more ironic. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, I know. And it's like, I just have this feeling it just, no. And I think no. the reason they did those things, at least according to the director when I saw him at uh, the Science Fiction Film Festival, yeah, was that said, it was done. off the executive producer. Yeah. And it was like, 
they're really causing us a hard time. They don't like what we're doing. We're trying to have fun. The heck with them. We're going to do this despite him. Mm. Right? And because of that, it works. And if you're just doing it to be cute and clever and make Easter eggs, which now people do all the time, which I yeah. actually find annoying. Um, although when we, that may come to an end when Wreck-It Ralph 2 comes out and the entire <laughs> film is just an Easter egg for Disney. Yeah, but pretty much. That's off track. But yeah, I, I think that, that one of those things, that, that thing wouldn't work in this, as you said, post-ironic society. I don't think mm. it... Yeah. Um, anything else before we uh, hoe down? Or no. down <laughs> up? Or hoodoo? Or... <laughs> hoodoo? So <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, Lidsville is the cuckoo-cookiest. It is the kick-kick-kickiest. Uh, <laughs> please, please stop. Okay, no, I, I think we're, re we're ready. Okay, so hoopy-doo down to the load... Uh, to the roundup. The Roundup. The Roundup. I'm going to ask you first, Max. Mm -hmm. Do you like this film? Oh, I love this movie. I have always loved this movie. Again, the first time I saw it, I also walked out going, What the hell was that? <laughs> but immediately followed by, I must go see this again immediately. Yes. And I went and saw it like two days later. And then yeah. again. I think I saw it four times. I've seen it so many times that I can't remember yeah. how many times I saw it in the theater. Um, it's just so unabashedly fun. It's not trying to be anything else. It's trying to be a comic book. It's trying to be just entertaining, fast-paced, engaging, and it hits on all cylinders. And I'm sorry, the movie is worth if nothing else worked. John Lithgow is yes. so much fun in this, and he is just having such a good time. And he is like Ian McDermott in... Uh, the Star Wars prequels. You want to see? <laughs> you want to watch some scenery chewing? Hold my beer. <laughs> so is your faith in your friends uh, unlimited power? Kid stuff, my God! <laughs> Curse you, bonsai! <laughs> would I love to see him in a Star Wars film? Yes, I would. Oh, yes. I, would, I. He is so good, and you can see elements of that. You know, they act. He actually sort of did that same character. In a cold open on Saturday Night Live. Yes, apparently he was playing. No, I, I read that he actually was playing John uh, uh, Lord, Lord John Morphin. Yeah, they didn't or, call or him Neil, that, but yeah. it's the same character, and it's basically trying to explain that uh, Haley's comet is actually an inv alien invasion or some such. And he, well, he's so. But the the thing a lot of people of the eighties and nineties remembered him for was uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. Where again, he, I wasn't crazy about the show, but he was so funny. Yeah, I he never saw it. He was so good. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, if they had listened to Orson Welles in the first place, and for those who don't know, he was the guy <laughs> from the old wine commercials. He would sell no wine before his time. You may know him best as the uh, voice of the planet in the Transformers film. Um, You're fired forever. <laughs> hey, it's his last screen credit. Oh, you had He'll... to remind us. One of the greatest American <laughs> filmmakers, and that was his last hurrah. What was it? Planetron? Uh... Unicron. <laughs> Unicron, and I'm Unicron, embarrassed whatever. that I know that. You should I be. did see, I saw that movie. Okay, I'm anyway. fired? <laughs> <laughs> I actually rented it, and I watched it. <sighs> so this film, for me, not that you asked, mm -hmm. uh, does have a lot of nostalgic value to it. Um, yeah. I, I loved it. Max and I have been quoting various parts of it. It's sometimes, so quotable. Sometimes it is so incorrectly quotable. for yeah, decades. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, you have to have geek cred. But... Uh-oh. So watching it this time, watching it for with a slightly more critical eye, and quite honestly also sitting here, when I do the films for the show, I, I want to watch the film. I don't want to have it on the background. I don't want to mm -hmm. just be sitting in my living room. So I have yep. it on my computer. I put on the headphones, and I actually pay attention. And I have to say, film's a little slow. And I will say for modern audiences, for those of you that think you have geek cred, you know who I'm talking about, Weasel. Uh, I'm just kidding, Weasel. You know I'm kidding, but really. Um, I can easily see them not being enraptured with this film. I can see them losing interest because while there's a lot of good stuff, like you said, you have to pay attention. And let's face it, there's not a lot of action in the film. So well, that, hang, hang on, I gotta disagree on a couple of things. I will say that the pacing is uneven. Yes, there it are is. times. Yeah, but if there are times, for example, the whole thing from the press conference to when the uh, when John Parker's ship blows up, which has car motorcycle chases, even <laughs> Ernie and Bert that, are hitting it with a stick. <laughs> yeah, that's six minutes. 
Right, but it feels sequence, like 12. Yeah, I don't think so. I think there are times like the press conference drags, some of the technobabble stuff is a little slow, but a lot of it is very well paced. I it think, ha- everything happens very quickly. I think it's well paced for a film of its time. Mm. And I think that unfortunately, attention spans have narrowed. Some would say disappeared. And that I think that for younger folks, they may find that this film to them is kind of dull. And I still love it. I still love the quotes. I love the performances. I love the little things. The little things are actually what keep me going in some places when there's not a lot going on. It's like I want to pay attention because I know somebody is going to say or do or have something in the background that I'm going to find hilarious, and I do. Um, It might even just be like when they're in the prison, and it's like, oh, uh, let her out. And then you hear in the background, hey, me too. There's no reason (laughs) for that line to be there. None. Perfect Tommy doesn't have to actually be talking to anybody, but it's funny, and they throw it in there. Um, So I'm not necessarily finding fault with the film what i'm saying is that i think for today's audience they may find it slower paced eh, I, okay i can see that it's not it does not have the add quality that a lot of modern movies have but uh, i think people today would still like it i think they could still handle it the difficulty is as you say you have to pay attention right and you have to let the movie carry you you can't just you really have to suspend stuff, not just disbelief, but you have to suspend pretty much everything. You have to suspend yourself from the ceiling, practically, because you have to be carried along. You have to go, okay, I don't. doesn't matter they didn't explain this. I'm just going to kill with it. And that can be hard, especially in an era where we micro-explain everything. Unfortunately. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and I'm going to say that partially because Max dissed Tapeheads, and I will never forgive him <laughs> for that. <laughs> oh, God, let it go. That was how many reviews ago? Uh, you know, the sad thing is that nobody knows yet because that hasn't even aired. Yeah, um, well. No, and I, that's not why I'm doing it. I did actually think, I was like, you know, this is, it's slower than I remember. That's, mm. that's what I thought. I still love it, but it's still, it is a slower than I remember. And, yeah, so, man, when you look at films like Ready Player One and it's like uh. this deluge of of special effect after special effect minutes go by without any real people on screen you know and you can say the same thing about a disney film but at least we Mm. know it's animation going in yeah and it's just like do i care about this cg representation of a human being or not no i don't yeah that is the thing that this movie does well you care about a lot of the characters and you're interested and you want to know like who is blue blazer regular pinky carruthers and you want to be a Blue Blazer Rigger, or yes. you want to and move up and you want to be a Hong Kong Cavalier. And what is Pecos doing in, in Tibet? I don't know, but it's probably pretty interesting. It would be, re- it must be cool, yeah. <laughs> you know, and Dave died. Who? <laughs> <laughs> the car mechanic. That's right, the car mechanic. He's dead. We. <laughs> you know why he died? Well, he got he... killed by Electroid. No, his name was Dave. Oh, well, you can't be yes. a Hong Kong Cavalier and have a name like Dave. Oh, well, he may the guys. Well, he was never Jersey. on stage. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Well, he was. He actually said, "Hey, who who's the wise guy?" He had a line. Yeah, yeah, he did. So, so you know, uh, I'm going <laughs> to say for the both of us, probably five thumbs up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is that Greek cred film that you're supposed to see, and and, and, and I think it's like worth it. it anyway. Even if you don't have geek cred, even if you don't want geek cred, this movie is just a lot of fun. Yes, it is. And uh, look for the Oscillation Overthruster in the next episode of Next Gen that you walk. I haven't mm-hmm. found it, but I've been told it shows up a number of times. Huh. Um, I never read the plaque on the EOS Excelsior, which I think is Star Trek uh, six. No, uh, no, that's for, uh, no, that's Generations. Uh, yeah, Star Trek Generations. No, 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 no Excelsior be... is the big ugly one that they don't want to get once they've been Oh, the oh, oh, I thought, okay, I thought it was the USS next Thursday or next Wednesday, you know, every No, 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 that one's one, uh, that one's captained by, uh, Oh, the Excelsior Star Trek Three, I think. Yeah, no, the yeah. The, the the USS Tuesday is commander commandeered or not commandeered is commanded by uh, yeah, Cameron. Cameron right yeah. from Ferris Bueller. Uh, and, you know, this is totally off topic, but uh, his name is Alan. Uh, Alan t- Rick. Uh, Ruck. 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 R-U-C-K. Alan Ruck. Man, is he an underused actor? I love Alan Ruck. I love He's him in that. Really good. He He's very good, good. He has a very bit part, but a memorable part in Speed. He was in Young Guns oh, Two. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood, what the hell's your problem? Alan Ruck's yeah. awesome. You should use him more. Yep. Oh, he, oh, he he was also in the M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong movie, The Happening. Which is a misnomer because nothing happens. Yeah. 
Was that the one with the it's wind? It's the plants! It's the plants! They oh, yes. spoiled the whole movie. Will this wind be no. so mighty as to lay low the mountains of the earth? No. It shall not be as mighty as all that. That's why we've come up on this mountain to be safe, you stupid idiot. We'll be anyway. safe as houses. Um, so, uh, next week, mm. we're going to be wrapping up this series of, of Hidden, Hidden Gems. Gems yep. with a film called That Thing You Do. Starring mm-hmm. Tom Hanks and a cast of millions. <laughs> well, several, anyway. Uh, I actually know nothing about this film. Max picked it, which, you know, we'll see what that means. But uh, Max generally has excellent taste, so I, I, I trust oh, him on this one. Yes, which is why I'm right about tape heads. Anyway. Oh, man. So, there's <laughs> so quickly be before. <laughs> so quickly. Take that. Out. Out. Quit More. it. Out. Keep going. Out. Yep. Talk to that, you next yeah. week, everybody. You know, out. That's what. Bye. Yeah. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Want to contact us? You can find our episodes online at maxmikemovies.com or follow our Twitter feed at MaxMikeMovies.